Welcome to Gothcast episode 14. I am Dr. Sanders. And I'm Robbie Gore. Today we're going to be talking about a lesser known goth band, or let me just say another band that does not want to be associated with goth music. <laughs> yeah, seems to be a trend here. Yeah. But that is, or they are, Yeah. Red Lorry, Yellow Lorry. Yeah, and that's Red L-O-R-R-Y, Yellow L-O-R-R-Y. Like, like the trucks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so... This band, it's one of the more obscure goth bands, or they like to be more referred to like rock and roll or new wave. Yeah. Uh, well, I would say they're like the most obscure of the bands that people still frequently mention. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. We're going to talk about their sound when we talk about you know their first album, but I'll let you talk about some of the history about this band before we get started, just because most people probably aren't familiar with them as much as if, say, like Susie and the Banshees or anything. Red Lorry, Yellow Lorry originally started out as being called The Lorries. They had uh, pretty much been touring and putting out some demo tapes. And eventually, manager caught their eye and yeah. heard single and wanted them to get on the label, at which point they changed their name to Red Lorry, Yellow Lorry. Wasn't it the... Oh, I'm trying to think of who's the floor manager. Uh, no, I think it was a different band. So, never mind. <laughs> It was Dave Hall was the original manager okay. with the record label Red Rhino, and that's what the first yeah. record is released on. Yeah. Once they get on Red Rhino Records, they put out their debut album, which is Talk About the Weather, and because they already actually had kind of a big following mm-hmm. with their single that had been released yeah. in the indie charts, when this album came out, it peaked on the indie charts. Yeah. Like it was number three on New Musical Express Indie Rock album charts for Enemy. several months, which indicates strong sales. And even though the LP only had eight songs, there's been several cassettes and CD releases, which have a lot more tracks than that. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. Like, we're, what we're going to do is actually, we're just going to talk about the original release of this album. Yep. Because, yeah, there actually is a release that has, I think, almost like double the tracks yep. on it. So, like always, we usually do the original releases unless there's some specific reason for us not to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's talk about talk about the weather. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, let's so, talk about it. <laughs> yeah, so it's 1985, and this is obviously a weird time for goth music. You know, a lot of goth albums are coming out about this time because it had been out long enough for a lot of bands to be influenced by them and to make enough of a name for themselves to get record deals and yep. to have time to record albums. It's kind of an interesting period. So there's a lot of bands that are either coming into their prime as a gothic band mm-hmm. right now or just starting as yeah. a gothic band. Yeah, exactly. You know, you have The Cure already done yep. all of the gothic trilogy. You have Susie and the Banshees really honing their sound. And by this time, even Hyena had been released. And you also have Bauhaus, like, yeah. it's pretty much done yeah, at this point. <laughs> They've done all the gothic material they're going to do at that point. Yeah, so when you have it at this point, you do have a lot of bands that sound very similar to those bands or take a lot from those bands. Yes. Because those bands were successful and they were very influential at the time in that country. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, talk about the weather. When when we discuss, especially this album, we're definitely going to reference other bands because it does borrow a lot from what the established sound was. It definitely does. And it does do its own thing, but the way I feel about this first album especially is it is kind of like an amalgamation of a lot of the stuff that we've already talked about. Yeah, it it doesn't sit anywhere specifically within the goth niche. It kind of draws from different things. Yeah. And like we said, this band does not like 
being associated with gothic music. No, they definitely do not. <laughs> yeah. They pretty much completely deny any association with the gothic scene. Yeah, but if you listen to this album or... Yeah, just just listen to this album and tell me it's not a gothic album. Even look at the album cover. <laughs> like, I mean, it, I know you shouldn't judge an album by its album cover. But yeah. I'd, like some of their later stuff I, I get. I'm like, yeah. okay, I'll call that not goth. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But this one... I mean, I see this posted by gothic fans of gothic subculture all the time. It's and always referenced, like YouTube bloggers all the time list their favorite goth bands. They always list Red Lori, Yellow Lori. Like. Yeah, it may be <laughs> lower in the list, but yeah, I mean, people, it's definitely talked it's about. It's not as talked about as like the standards, but they're they're like the cool thing to listen to because they're less known. Yeah, exactly. But let's just get into talking about the sound of this album and the songs that we really like and songs that we dislike if you know if we do but yeah the one thing i want to say and and i don't know if you agree with me or not but this album if you like music stores or anything like that sometimes they label it as like new wave sometimes they label it as gothic rock yep i'm not new wave um uh, post-punk <laughs> and i really feel a connection to this album to say like joy divisions material i could see where you're going with that mm-hmm. um particularly with the vocals but for me I don't know. I So this album feels much more industrial to me in its yeah. production quality. It almost has like this really mechanical beat to it, like all the songs do, yeah. and very machine-like. And so while I can see some perhaps influence from Joy Division with Ian Curtis's vocal style, mm-hmm. the guitars for me don't particularly remind me of Joy Division just because they're not quite as melodic and they're more yeah. uh, kind of soundscaped. Yeah. And you have the use of drum machines too, so... Mm-hmm. Here's how I'm going to describe this album, right? You take some of the bass lines and vocals from Joy Division. You take the guitar from Bauhaus. You take the drums from... Sisters of Mercy. Yeah, Sisters of Mercy <laughs> and like in Bauhaus too. Because it doesn't feel as quite as mechanical as Sisters of Mercy, but it doesn't feel quite as loose as Bauhaus. Yeah. And that's why I really think describes this album as a blend of all those things and even with the guitars i would almost say some of the early susie and the banshees kind of stuff yeah definitely some of that is in there yeah especially on the the songs hand on heart and strange dream yep i totally think that have a susie influence on there just because of the way that the guitar sound is yeah and, and well, and Susie's, you know, kind of in her prime right now. Oh, yeah. And so, of totally. course, that's definitely going to be an influence for them. Yeah. It's hard to say with Red Lord Yellow because this band has always been one that's been really hard for me to get into, to get, like, you know, deeply into their albums. Yeah. And I think one was that, you know, it just sounds a lot like some of the other stuff that we've listened to mm-hmm. that, you know, was obviously more original because it was the first kind of thing to sound like that. Yeah. Or it masked its influences better. But... The singer Chris Reed, I kind of struggle with his voice. Now, you know... I could see that. Yeah, you know the kind of singers I like, and you know that even when we did the Mission episode, I'm not the biggest fan of the singer from the Mission. I feel like Chris Reed, he's not the best singer, and that's nothing against him. Yeah. Like, I think that, especially on this album, they write material that specifically works for his voice. No, it works for his voice. That's actually one of my criticisms of their later albums. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But... He basically does the talk singing sort of thing. like yep. Kind of like Ian Curtis did, um, singer Joy Division. But Ian Curtis, especially on some songs, he really put a ton of emotion into it. Yeah. And it kind of brought it up out of that kind of talk singing. Well, Ian Curtis talk sings, but there's always an implied melody. Whereas while 
Chris Reed's Reed? vocals are not nearly as uh, <laughs> they don't sound in tonal quality anything like Christian Death's vocals, but they remind me of Christian Death's vocals in the same way that they have almost like a monotone quality to them, mm-hmm. where the pitch doesn't really change much. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I could see that. This is one of those cases where the singer is very much fits in with the sound. And as far as a band dynamic, I think one of the best qualities is the energy of this band. Oh, I completely agree. I remember listening to this album and just thinking immediately, like, oh, this would be a great show to see. Yeah, like, absolutely. It's one of those kind of intangible things that's hard to describe. And we've tried to get that across on this show. It's like one of those bands where you go and see them play at a club and they're great and you buy their record and you're like, this is good, but I wish I could see them live again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Th- this even more so, just because you can really feel that these guys are passionate about this. Yep. Or at least they're excited to do this. You know, maybe they were doing it for the paycheck, you know, you never know, but I can really feel like a distinct energy in this and it keeps it from being one of those throwaway albums that just sounds like, you know, a whole bunch of other bands. I do think that they try to put their own signatures on some songs. And I got to say, one of the best things that they have going for it is actually the rhythm, like the bass and the drums. No, the rhythm section is so great. So I'll just come out and say I was a little hesitant about doing this band because the last time I listened to them, I remembered not liking them particularly as much. Uh But re-listening to talk about the weather, I actually really got into this album in particular. Yeah, And what really drew me in really was the bass and you know the drums set up a space for the bass to work in because they're drum machines mostly and they don't change too much it's a mechanical beat that just kind of repeats but the bass really plays in with all the little patterns of the drums Mm -hmm. and this bass player like really takes advantage of melody and harmony and rhythm and it's just so refreshing to see that yeah because oftentimes goth bands do push bass very forward in the mix mm-hmm. but often it just it they kind of chug on one note that follows yeah. one chord whereas uh their bass player really kind of moves around the fretboard a bit and yeah. it really seems like he knows what he's doing yeah well i would say with most goth music it ends up being either about the bass and the singer yep or the singer and the guitar yeah and then usually you have a very kind of repetitive drum beat yeah and then just a very driving bass but with this one, it definitely is the the bass that's driving it. And the guitars, they're not bad. But yeah, like you said, it's much more of a soundscape kind of. It does. And for me, the dr- the guitars almost kind of function in the same way that the drums do. Mm-hmm. Where like a lot of the guitar parts are, you know, like, da-da-da, da-da-da. Like yeah. they play into the rhythm. Yeah. Very much so. Where you don't have as much melodic content driven by mm-hmm. the guitars. Yeah. Which is interesting because that forces the bass to be more of a melodic driver. Yeah. There are a few standout songs on this one. And in by standout, I mean that they're different than the other ones. And they kind of have their own thing going for it. There are like a lot of minor chords on this one. and it, It's very minor key influence. Yeah. So if you're not into that, you know, if you're looking for the, the definitive pop song on this one, you're not really going to oh, find it. Oh, you're definitely not going to find it on this album. Uh, but it does have one song that, that definitely is different than all of that. And that's the song Happy. Which has this like very much more like punk rock, almost like classic metal sort of sound on it. Like he's like really angry sounding on this song and it doesn't sound like anything else on the album. Yeah, that's where I almost kind of started to see some more like draws to like some of the death rock bands Mm -hmm. that would come later on is just because 
that song was so aggressive. And we don't really see them do that again, so I won't really consider them a pioneer of death rock. Yeah. But definitely uh, a yeah. harsher one for them. Yeah. I was like, whoa, this one, like, yeah, all the way through, what, you know, because like I said, there's, there's a whole bunch of different releases of this album, but on the original release, this is the last song. So you get all the way through there. And Happy's then, you're like, whoa, where did this come from? I also love that they call it Happy. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) One thing, totally like every other goth band at this time, and we've commented on this multiple times, so we're repeating it, is uh, really long intros for this band. They uh, they love their playing into the soundscape of the song before the vocals come in. Um, One thing I will also say is that while the lyrics are not super poetic, mm-hmm. they're very wittily written. Oh, totally. And I really enjoy the lyrics on this album in particular. Yeah. Their singer really delivers them well. And I don't know, I just really like the lyrics for this album. Yeah. And most songs are like about three minutes long. Uh, yeah. A couple of them are under. Yeah, I, th- <laughs> I think the whole, the original release of the whole album, um, before they you know added a whole bunch more songs to it. The it length was, is 27 minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... Is a pretty short album. It's almost like EP standard. I yep. think an e, what's considered a full length album is like twenty nine minutes or something, or like a half hour. I think part of that too is because so they release or were like used to releasing like EPs and mm-hmm. cassettes and stuff prior to this, and this is their like first album that they put out, and they are kind of almost still. I feel like kind of an EP gear, yeah, especially because they had gotten so much success from those eps mm-hmm. and we'll see when they switch to like more album format they don't they're not nearly as successful yeah so i think it's a pretty good album and i think if you are kind of drowned out on the whole like listening to 17 seconds pornography uh hyena juju all the you know all like the mainstays of yep. gothic rock and post-punk I would say this is, is a good alternative to some of those things, you know, just because you kind of burnt out on some of them. Yeah. I think this actually is a really strong album. Oh, I think this is, is. A, a very strong album. I'm not a huge fan of Red Lorry, Yellow Lorry's, like, expansive career. Mm-hmm. I say expansive. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> because, uh, well, yeah. we'll see. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but their debut album, I think, functioned really well. It really showed what the band could do and really portrayed how this band would play live because mm-hmm. i have to say one thing it really kind of reminds me of at least in terms of mixing is kind of in the flat field kind of i think that this one has much more of a snap to it it's much more of like a studio album in that it does but it just it captures that energy mm-hmm. in almost kind of a live feeling in the same way that yeah. in the flat field did okay I can um see it. It, everything's not eq'd the same but I just feel like, I don't know, where everything kind of sits in the mix kind of reminds me of In the Flat Field. Okay, I could see that. So yeah, I recommend this one. Yeah, I do too. Yes, this is normally our Goth News segment, but we thought that we would do something a little different this time, and it's because the holidays are coming up. Yeah, so uh, it's early enough in the month that there's still some time for you guys to go out and buy some presents. And so we thought we might mention some things that, you know, might be of interest to you. Yeah, so I know it's a little bit strange because most people don't think of Goths as celebrating really much besides Halloween. Yeah. But just in case, you know, you're wondering what to get your significant other or, you know, the person who drinks your blood every night. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we thought this might be a good idea. And so... Uh, one of the things I want to start off with right off the bat is actually there's a lot of really good 
gothic books out there mm-hmm. um and not just talking about you know things like dracula or or jane Eyre or anything there's the art of gothic that came out yep i think that was last year or two years ago but it actually is a very good visual guide to goth and has a lot of good information in there it does cover things like my chemical romance and the kind of emo stuff section would, of it yeah so just be aware of that and but there's there's also the book Somewhere Leather, Somewhere Lace, which yeah. is a book that I actually highly recommend to people. I personally own it, and I think we even posted a picture of it to our Instagram. But that's a great book for someone who's really fascinated by the gothic music scene and mm-hmm. wants to learn about how gothic fashion and music developed over time yeah. and how it kind of originated and progressed and where we would get the terms goth and how that would all kind of fit together. It's a very good source for that sort of material and it has an awesome collection of photographs that i don't think i've ever seen anywhere before yeah and then one i had to recommend because i'm constantly reading this one and i love it it's literally called the vampire book and what it is is basically an encyclopedia and like little blurbs written about every single thing relating to vampires you could ever think of and i mean this goes from everything from vampire in literature real life vampires in hungary um it focuses on vlad tempish it focuses on dark shadows i mean everything you could ever think of is in this book and it's a really really good resource yeah and i've also noticed that recently there's been an influx of kind of tutorials on witchcraft books that have come Mm -hmm. out and uh probably the most notable one or one that's the most visually striking out there right now is called the Wikipedia. Oh, um, really? Yeah. So for those people who are you know into you know Wiccan religion or practice, there's a book out there called Wikipedia, spelled like Wicca and then Pedia, not like the website. I really like that. The, you know, the one thing you got to give these people credit for, you know, this whole subculture for Gothic V is people think we're so serious all the time. But honestly, like th- that just shows, and a lot of things show just how hilarious, yep, like us can be. Like Wikipedia, it's hilarious. <laughs> no, it's great, and it's actually supposed to be a pretty good beginner's guide for getting into uh, witchcraft or Wicca in general. And so, yeah, it's very tongue in cheek, but it's also a good intro to witchcraft. And mm. so, for those of you who might be into it, or you have a family member who's into that, mm-hmm. then you know, it's a great possible gift for them. Yeah. And then also, if you have kids or you like any kind of thing that's kind of cute or adorable and you don't want something that's too violent or gory, you know, you just want like a something kind of cute to put on the bookshelf and maybe read it every once in a while or just look at the art, is there is a ton of the, um, like, kid books that are kind of, like, spooky-themed. Yep. And so, I mean, like, vampires, obviously <laughs> vampires, but they need yep. jam. And then Vampirina Ballerina. There's, there's a ton of them out there if you start looking. And then, of course, you can buy DVDs or you can buy any kind of sets of, of shows. Like, people already know that. People aren't so much into buying physical media anymore. Yeah. But the one thing that people always love is vinyl. Yep. And a good thing, you know, we've talked about it a lot on um, our show, is that a lot of these are getting re-releases. Yep. And so, a lot of times... People's parents aren't really into going out and searching out these records. You know, they don't want to go into a record store with a list of stuff. 
and you know to tell somebody awkwardly like can you help me find these yeah and they're not really familiar if they're buying the right thing or not sometimes you know they're a little bit expensive but the good thing about these re-releases is you, you can find them on places like amazon yeah, yeah. So, you, so you can just fill up your amazon wish list with you know cure re-releases of vinyl and get 180 gram vinyl just mailed to your mom's front door you yep. know so it's actually getting really simple for people to buy things for you on that and of course, I'm not sure exactly how good it is in the UK because I think Amazon is a little bit not as good as it is in America as yeah. it is here. In uh, America, at least, though, Amazon in general has become like a really good resource for anything gothic, really, just because they have such a wide spectrum of product. Yeah, you well, can pretty much get anything you need for anyone on Amazon. Yeah, here. See, that's, that's one of the things that I think a lot of people don't understand about Amazon and one of the reasons I love it is that it has no religious affiliation. Yep. The religion they follow is money. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, buy well, everything from dildos to a uh, children's store. That's so true. <laughs> and people don't think about that kind of stuff is that Amazon stocks literally everything and doesn't have a filter for it really. Unless, you know, somebody isn't supplying the product that they are providing. Yep. And sometimes even that is kind of an issue, but you know, it's only for things that are like in super ridiculous high demand, but I mean, you could order band patches, you can order t-shirts, you can order jewelry, you can order anything you want for it. And usually if you find, like if you're having trouble finding one, as long as you find something that's related to it, it's going to send you links that are similar to that item. And so one of the things I'm doing is I'm just literally just filling it up with Blu-rays and vinyl records. Yep. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. And I just wanted to briefly mention, it's not directly goth related but mm-hmm. i think a lot of goth people might appreciate the the humor and this sort of thing yeah some of you may know about it but there's a toy company that makes little plush dolls oh, that yeah. are of uh various bacteria and viruses mm-hmm. you get a little herpes doll for someone if That's you right. want to and it's not like gross <laughs> like the scab herpes it's like the like the actual the strand little, yeah. yeah like the little micro organism yeah. itself <laughs> it's pretty crazy so if you want stuff like that i know uh, probably a ton of people would love to have something like that be like oh it's like adorable yeah. yep they um, are actually really cute looking i have to say yeah i used to know well, i mean i still know a guy who actually does like he used to do like maggots and stuff and like all these kind of crazy sort of um little plush toys and that stuff is always appealing just because something different you know you see so many people getting people teddy bears for valentine's day and um yeah, you don't you don't have that worry on this one. Yeah. And so it's just a it's a really cool product and they're called Giant Microbes. At least that's uh one of the uh, suppliers. It looks like there's a couple of them out there, but yeah, Giant Microbes, you can find all kinds of uh organisms. You get syphilis, pox, the common cold, all these available in plush form. <laughs> <laughs> We live in a very awesome world. Yep. Oh, and then also posters. I just want to say posters. I was trying to think of the one more thing that was like really to art. So posters, usually really cheap. That's great. another great place for Amazon because you can find so many on there oh for like gosh. $5 I, or less. I spent so much money on posters. <laughs> I have the giant Bela Lugosi one and so, so many. But yeah, so this was obviously not really about news, but it was about some ideas for an upcoming holiday and yeah, um, whatever you celebrate, you know, if you're Jewish... Christian, pagan, Hinduism, Taoist, anything. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Part of the Freemasons. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, just in case you had wanted some gift ideas for the Gothic person in your life, because 
I sure as hell can tell you there's not going to be any freaking commercials to Target for about anything that's going to relate to something that the person, like, you're significant out there. You're, yeah, there's you definitely know, not, except for Hasbro. I had the Ouija board, right? Yeah, <laughs> yep. the Ouija board. That's right. Other than the, the, oh, by the way, it's so expensive now. Really? Oh, my gosh. I get, it's like over $100. I guess, yeah, yeah. Are you serious? Yeah, I know. I should have bought one when I had the chance. Why don't you just buy a regular Ouija board? Well, no, it's the, the kid one now. I know, but like... Well, I mean, I could just buy a Ouija board, but I'm saying I wanted the kid one. Like, uh, I, I, I know. Yeah. So, well, okay. So, so that's our news segment. Yeah. Bye. Okay, so now we're on to Paint Your Wagon. Yeah, so this is a second release by Red Lorry, Yellow Lorry. And it's just, you know, released a few months later once they get into the new year. Yeah, um, so 1986. Yep. And this one is both a similar album and a different album in some ways. And I would say it actually is a pretty different than the first album in terms of songwriting. And I would definitely say so. Yeah, and I think it, it, when you first listen to it, it sounds very similar because you're like, okay, you know, same kind of vocal style, same kind of like writing kind of pop songs but they're not super catchy but then like you really start listening to it and you realize that they just are moving all the songs into different directions and to me as soon as i heard this album i was like i don't know this doesn't sound like red lorry yellow lorry anymore to me like there'd be hints at what mm, they exactly. used to be throughout the album and i'd be like yeah no, maybe it is but then they play another song and i'm like this doesn't sound like them exactly <laughs> and that's why i think it is and it isn't because some songs like tear me up definitely i think has that sort of sound and also save my soul to some extent yeah but then you also have like even the opener for yeah. this album so um walking on your hands sounds nothing like the last album. yeah it's just <laughs> it's way catchier like it's way more like hook based it is and okay walking on your hands definitely reminds me more going back to the whole ian curtis reference mm-hmm. of joy division oh yeah i totally um, think so especially the way that song's mixed and how the vocals are pushed and yeah mix. the way this album is mixed is kind of my biggest point of contention with it. Oh, it is for me. It still has like the jangly kind of guitars that we're used to and we heard on the first album. It's not EQ'd differently than the last album, but the way things are placed in the mix is very different. Extremely different. And uh, on the first one, you can almost argue, it's like, is this a drum machine at some points or isn't it, right? Yeah. This one, it just sounds like a straight up drum machine. And if it wasn't a drum machine, it was definitely a drummer playing through electronic drums because it just definitely has that like very specific sound. Yep. But the, the thing... Giant th- 80s drum sound. Yeah. <laughs> but the one thing I just... I don't like on this album is the amount of reverb on everything is really distracting for me. It is distracting. And another point of contention with me for the mixing is that... So there's a lot more presence in the guitars for this mm, album. They're yeah. doing a lot more melodically. They play a lot more into the role of the song structure and the chordal structure of the songs. Yeah. But they're taken way further down in the mix for this album. Yeah, that's really true. And so is the bass. Like, yeah. I feel like the driving thing in this are the drums through almost every song. The drums are higher than the vocals, yeah, surprisingly. I think so. And then vocals come next. And so it's weird to have songs that are driven by drums and vocals. And for a band who had such a strong bass player like why take him down in the mix i don't know it's really really weird it just seems like there's just a lot of things that were tweaked from the first one that that just really hurt this one and there's two instrumentals on here yeah and so we have um mescal dance and we have blitz mescal dance is bizarre to me because 
it really just sounds like a song without vocals. Like it sounds like they recorded a song and just forgot to put the vocals on it. Yeah. They even do it with, if you're into music or anything, you know, like the four, four time. Yep. And so when they get to a certain number of bars, it seems like where the vocals come in, they even change the part to something that seems like it's really easy to sing over. Yep. But then there's no vocals. <laughs> so it seems just really unnecessary to just have that be an instrumental. No, I completely agree. And Blitz... I mean, obviously, it doesn't need to be on the album, yeah. but it does feel more like an instrumental, per se. Yeah, it, and it totally breaks one of my rules, and I've always said that <laughs> it's really easy to do this, and that's why I don't think a lot of bands should do it, yep. is where the instrumental is the longest song on the album. Even I've done that with a band where our longest song on the album was the instrumental, and I just think that that's way too easy to do, and you see bands do it all the time. If you're going to do that, like you really have to be monsters of players exactly like, <laughs> yeah this isn't the kind of band where you're like yeah you know their guitar chops are pretty yeah, amazing yeah. you like, know i mean all the band members function well in a band setting but yeah none of them well maybe besides bass player stand yeah. out as someone who you're like oh he's really great like i want to be able to play like him like, yeah exactly <laughs> i think they work better as a unit yep um it is kind of that one of those bands not to discredit them you know like we said but yeah no, but i just think they work better yeah. together but then the songs I have the biggest issue with, in terms of the way that they're mixed and, and the vocals and everything, yep. I think it's going to be Jip and Last Train. For me, I really like the song Jip. Yep. In fact, it actually has like almost like a kind of early industrial sort of sound, and I really like that. I really like Jip a lot in terms of song structure. Yeah. And like almost sounds like they even use like a song bite or something in there, which yeah. is obviously what a ton of industrial bands do. So for me, Jip, granted I didn't like the way it was mixed and mm-hmm. a lot of other things about it, it felt like a good evolution for the last album. Yeah. Like, I could see them going in that direction. Yeah. But then the some of the weirdest songs on here is you're going to have Shout at the Sky and Which Side, which have this, like, surfer kind of, like, garage rock yeah, influence. Yeah, I, I don't know. The, the drums, very different than the rest of the drums on the album. They have that less gated sound to them. Yeah. So they sound more like a real drum set. hmm But it sounds like a surf drum set. Yeah. And... The guitars are very, or super covered in reverb, so obviously it makes them sound more surfy or garage yeah. rocky. And and not necessarily those songs are awful just because of that. I just think that they just aren't very memorable. Unfortunately, no, yeah, yeah. It's not the songs that are bad. When I was listening to them, I'm like, why would you release this? Like, why would you, Red Lorry, Yellow Lorry, release these songs? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like I said, there's some good stuff on here. In fact, Tear Me Up and Save My Soul, those are actually really good songs. Yeah. I really like them. And in fact, even the opening one, Walking on Your Hands. Although I don't like the way that one's particularly mixed, it's a good song. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think there's some good material on here. And it would be fine if a lot of stuff was kind of in that same vein. Because even those songs are good evolutions from what they were doing before. And, like, Jip also works, too. So if they'd done an album that was more like that, but it seems like this one is a little bit all over the place yeah, in terms it- of sound and what they were kind of wanting to do with the guitars and the drums and obviously the mixing is like way off it really lacks consistency for me and so i have a hard time backing this as a second release to me this feels a little more like sophomore slump to me Mm -hmm. just because this is so all over the place that it reminds me of a lot of other bands first albums before they really define their sound yeah but they came from having a really defined sound with talk about the weather Mm mm-hmm and come to paint your wagon and all of a sudden they're all over the place and have no consistency of, yeah. you know, 
sound or image or anything really yeah uh, then one thing i want to talk about is the album cover for this is <laughs> i think is really bad yeah so the last album cover you know it just just looks like a goth album cover it's like it'd be like an instagram photo today or yeah. something <laughs> just like a grainy but i don't know what this is and i will say as much as i love the mission they are not known for good album covers I have to say, I think this is worse than any mission cover it's I've ever seen. It's a wagon wheel. Like, that's it. It's just like a wagon wheel, and it's it's really bad. Yeah. And it, the color scheme. Uh, it, yeah. <laughs> Orange and red. Yeah. It was noticeable enough to where I was just like, wow, this is, like, bad enough to mention. Yeah. So, you know, like we say all the time, it's, you don't necessarily have to have a good album cover. So why is this album called Paint Your Wagon? I want to know. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't see any reference to that in the lyrics. Well, they talk about trains. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the mission is actually a very good example of like a band that has not very good art, but extremely good music. Yeah. This is like one of those examples of the first album has really good image and really great music. Yep. Second album has like really bad art and... Okay music. Yeah. (laughs) So it's really... I just had to mention that. So I have to agree with you. And I... Just wanted to briefly mention, just because a lot of these albums get re-released later with a lot more songs on them, uh-huh. because again, this is another 27-minute album. Yeah. So when I was you know doing uh, my research for the podcast, I listened to a couple of the re-releases, mm-hmm. and I noticed that one of them had a song on it called More Jip, and sounded exactly like Jip Part 2, and mm-hmm. featured many of the same lyrics, yep. and I was like, why would you ever release that to the public? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, it reminded me of Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On album, where mm-hmm. halfway into the record, there's a s- second song called Keep Getting It On, which is just a reprise of Let's Get It On. Yep. <laughs> and then, oh, also, that reminds me of when they did, uh, The Cure did uh, the, the album The Cure, <laughs> oh, and yeah. the bonus tracks were instrumentals of the songs that were on the album, but they called them different things. <laughs> I saw a review of the album when it was released where like this guy was mad. Yep. He's like, how come they like Japan gets four more songs? Cause he thought they were brand new songs, but there's instrumentals yeah. of songs that are already <laughs> on the album. Yeah. That's just, that's reminding me of that. But yeah. So paint your wagon, it's still a good album in some ways. Definitely not as highly recommended as talk about the weather. No, um, it doesn't make my top lists for any gothic material, unfortunately. No, it doesn't. <laughs> so if you loved talk about the weather, like say you know, you're a big, big fan of that album, this one will probably actually like satiate that need for more music. For me, it's honestly a little bit forgettable just in terms of its sound and everything. I don't know, it's hard because talk about the weather, even if it was referencing a lot of other bands and a lot of things that we had already were familiar with by this time paint your wagon just tries something new to add something new to it yeah it just doesn't work as well no i agree i don't see for talk about the weather the draw of influence from other bands as being a point of contention with that album mm-hmm. because i think they pull it off very well yeah and this album unfortunately does not pull off originality very well <laughs> yeah so that's paint your wagon yep Okay, now we're on to Nothing Wrong. Yeah, so this is the third album by Red Lorry, Yellow Lorry, and it's a couple years later, released in 1988. So two years instead of a few months. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) But this is also their first album on the label Situation 2, which was an offshoot of the Beggar's Banquet label. And this one has kind of a return to the first album, and 
and kind of not in a weird way. Yeah. So we again kind of have a pushback to a more openly gothic sound. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's not the same gothic sound that was on the first album. Yeah, and I will say right off the bat, I actually do like this album better than I like Paint Your Wagon. Oh, I, I agree with that. And I think that the band sounds more enthusiastic on this one than they did on Paint Your Wagon. It sounds less of like, let's write a whole bunch of songs and they, you know, less of like a studio album, more of like a, let's get some energy into this one. Yeah. And that really comes through on a few different songs. Even if you don't like the songs themselves, they definitely have an energy to them. In fact, World Around, I think like the instrumentation on that is really good. That one was a tough one for me. The instrumentation didn't bother me. The chorus was great, but I hated the vocal lines in the verses. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, here's my biggest issue with their material by this point. So especially on this album and the next album, I really feel like Chris Reed's vocals just are kind of stretched by this point in that they have to write more expensive material, but his vocal style isn't changing that much. I feel like he's almost trying to meet the music that they're playing more than they're trying to meet his voice. Yeah. And I think that's always a mistake whenever you're a band. If your singer's trying to match her music instead of you're trying to match his voice, it's always going to make for kind of an odd sounding record. Yeah. And I actually think when we did Christian Death... When Roz Williams was really changing his vocal style for the way that the band was evolving. Yeah. Like, that is a perfect example of how to actually do it. Yeah, uh, but I saw that as more of a complete evolution of the band in general because we saw a big lineup change there, yeah. too. And so he changed his vocal style and the band changed as well. Whereas it almost seems like the band is just writing new material and he's trying to find a way to fit into it. Yeah. I just think that on this one, it, it definitely has that kind of issue where. Just isn't as powerful of a voice at this point that you probably need out of these songs. Yeah. Like, I could see a lot of these songs benefiting more from a singer like Dave Vanian, at least, you know, like in the gothic years and stuff like that. Yeah. There's someone with a little more baritone quality who actually, like, sings more melodiously. Yeah. Gosh, like the talk singing thing. Yeah. It works really well for the first two albums. Like, it kind of fits. But yep. this one is where it just starts to pull away from it. And it's really noticeable because... In World Around, when it says, a wor- you know, a world around, it's like, it sounds like, a world around, a world around. Like, is just begging for somebody to be, like, just bellowing that out. And, like, yep, you can feel the passion in the instrumentation, but you don't feel the passion in the vocals. Yeah, so you have these instruments that really, like, build up dynamic and pressure. Mm-hmm. And they really cry out for a vocalist to just kind of operatically, yeah. you know, just sing... But Reeds is just not that singer. Like, yeah, that's really my biggest issue with this album. Other than that, I think that the songwriting is a lot better. But let's just talk about some of the songs. I just had to get that out of the point because that is absolutely my biggest point of contention with this one. Yeah. So I do like the kind of super 80s sound that we get on some of these songs. Yeah. Um, like Nothing Wrong. That's actually probably one of my favorite songs by them, bar none. On this album, they start getting into material that's more... It reminds me of kind of like 80s Cure goth kind of material. Yeah. 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 Or at least that sort of like where if you heard it, you'd be like, that's from the 80s. Yeah. You know? um, whereas it's almost weird. Talk about the weather, even though it is reminiscent of a lot of those bands, almost because music has come around so much. Yep. A lot of those elements, you're like, that could be a modern album. Whereas nothing wrong, you're probably not going to mistake that for something that came out even in the last 
15 or 20 years. Yeah. But I do definitely like that that kind of super 80s sound on Nothing Wrong. And then also on The Rise has a super 80s sound. But again, like that's one of my favorite songs on the album. In fact, the, the two songs I like the most on this one are probably the most dated ones. But they're really, really catchy. Like, yeah. No, I would definitely agree with that. Even Hard Away, which is, again, it's hard to pick between Nothing Wrong, The Rise, and Hard Away as my, you know, which one's my favorite song. Hard Away is pretty close. <laughs> But I just really, really like the sound that they got off of that. In fact, I felt like almost this is what the album that should have been after Talk About the Weather because I think they did a really good job of kind of moving their sound in a different direction while also keeping what I think some of the better things about their sound was. was it was kind of catchy, you know. You can kind of hum it to some extent. Yeah. But this album is way, way more based on hooks than both their previous albums yeah definitely so especially for talk about the weather i felt like it was much more kind of in a weird way like a dance album and not to say that the material was dancey but just that i could see it being played in an industrial club yeah. and it's very rhythmic mm-hmm. and like i could see people kind of grooving to it yeah and you definitely can't do that so much with this album no it's more of like you know like a lay back and put on your headphones kind of yeah album. i don't think there's anything Actually, there's nothing wrong with that. But No, there isn't. But yeah, it's just... It's just different. It is frustrating because by this point, you do have a return of some of the things that were actually really good about the first album. Yep. Like Only Dreaming, you have that chugging bass line right in the opening. And throughout this, you actually do have kind of that sort of sound coming back. Yeah. But then you have things like Pushing On, which has this like rockabilly kind of guitar. and I wouldn't even call it rockabilly. It's like... It's very punk influence. Like it, it has rockabilly influence, but it like ri- reminds me of social distortion. It's almost yeah. like punkabilly or something like it's that. It's true. <laughs> so yeah, it is just a weird thing being pulled in a lot of ways. So this one is is another one that's really kind of good and bad in a lot of ways. The catchiness, you can definitely tell that they were trying to find like maybe like a hit or something with these. Yeah. Because they're such a reliance on like verse course verse with this one and like kind of having the instruments build up to like a chorus and yep. have it be like this big centerpiece, but just isn't there for most of these songs. Yeah, I would agree. And so what bothered me about this album is I felt like there was a lot of great instrumental work on the, these mm-hmm. albums in particular. And like we already mentioned, the, the vocals don't fit, but I kind of wondered if maybe he had played less into the melody of the songs Mm -hmm. and just stuck to his guns and did his talk singing kind of thing. Yeah. And they mix and EQ'd his voice differently, maybe more like the first album. Mm -hmm. It would have fit together better somehow or like would have been more original. Yeah. Because I feel like he's trying way too hard to fit with these songs in a way that doesn't work for his voice. Yeah. I I totally agree with that. In fact, I actually think if they had done this album with a similar sound to the first album, like even closer. Yeah. Because like I said, it does get some of the elements back. Like the mixing isn't like ridiculously reverb heavy like the second one was. No, but the vocals are definitely treated very differently than they the first album. They absolutely are. And I do think that if it had the same kind of mixing and same kind of recording yeah. setup that the first album did, this would actually be an extremely good album. I think it would have. It would be the next, you know, like big talked about Red Lorry, Yellow Lorry album it, if they had done it that way. Exactly. But I think... With this one, it's trying to be a little more poppy. I don't feel like it succeeds in that. I feel like it is catchier, <laughs> but not 
poppier and then i feel like the the mixing just still isn't there like for yeah, this yeah it really isn't they just got it so right on that first album and it's it's hard to listen to these other ones because they got it right that first time well, it's funny because the mixing from the first album was pretty much taken from their uh, demo tapes. Uh, so that's pretty much all their own self-mixing. Yeah. And this, this is a perfect example of when studio gets a hold of your songs and they mix them the way they want to. And Yeah. <laughs> this is... Uh, this one's frustrating. Yep. There is still... Like I said, the benefits of this album is that there's still the energy to it. And the instrumentation's really good. It's always tight, even if the songs aren't necessarily that great. But... I just am so conflicted about this one because I really want to like this album a lot because it does have some things in common with the first album, but it just isn't that fantastic. Like, I know I know how you feel. It's like the second album, I can easily say that I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to people. Mm-hmm. And this album, I want to, but I'm not sure that I should. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that, actually. Yeah, that's basically my opinion on Nothing's Wrong. I think the... The three songs you should listen to off this album, which and probably nothing else, is gonna be "Nothing Wrong," "The Rise," and "Hardaway." And that's pretty much the only thing that I like will probably ever listen to off this album. I like those. Again. Those were probably my favorite songs. I did also kind of like "Sayonara" a little bit, but that's about the only other thing I really add. Okay, so I don't like that song. But okay, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that's nothing wrong. I would almost just say like make up your own mind about this one. Yeah, because definitely. It's yeah, it's just a really hard album to kind of get an opinion on. I feel like everyone's gonna take this album very differently. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's nothing wrong. It has a lot wrong. <laughs> okay, and so we just kind of wanted to briefly go through the rest of the material they release over the years because unfortunately, there's. No real redemption after this. Yeah. All right, so 1989, they released the album Blow, which takes an even further step away from the gothic post-punk sound that they were developing throughout the 80s and takes it much more of an alternative rock sort of dynamic with kind of big choruses and this kind of clean sort of distortion and everything like that that was much more common in like the 90s. And in my opinion, it doesn't really work that well at all. I think the biggest issue with this one is, again, the vocals. They just don't blend well with this type of music. And even though they double track it and try all these different effects for it, it just sounds wrong. And even more so than the album, Nothing's Wrong. It's just really frustrating because even though they were kind of going on the right track for the album, Nothing's Wrong, when they get to this album, they just decided to push it even farther into a different direction. And a lot of people, especially fans, didn't really like this album, and it didn't even sell very well. So I guess I wasn't the only one who thought that way. Yeah, I would agree. They released one more studio album. It's called Blasting Off. They knew they were going downhill because they broke up, or Reed broke up the band like right after they released it. Yep. And it honestly... not really worth even mentioning what's on the album. Yeah. <laughs> so, but they released it. If you want to check it out, it came out in 1991, and from there on out, they pretty much just released collections. Yep. So they have a singles collection, their collection called Generation, a very best of collection. They have a compilation of Nothing Wrong and Blow. 
They have See the Fire, which is a compilation of Talk About the Weather and Paint Your Wagon, and some singles from 1982 to 1987, and a couple of unreleased BBC session tracks. Yeah, that's kind of the way that Red Lorry, Yellow Lorry ends. I mean, they've been touring on and off for the last few years. They have. They still, they're active as a touring band. Yeah. They did make a post saying that, in this last year, in 2014, saying that new music is on its way, but... Hasn't shown up. No, we haven't um, seen anything. In fact, what we got in 2014 was not new music, but a compilation again. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's just... Yeah, that's the way Red Lorry, Yellow Lorry ends. And it's kind of a bummer. A band that had a lot of promise. Yeah, and a, band that a lot had, of potential. Yeah, they could have been probably... If they had just stuck with the sound of the first album, honestly, probably a ton of people talking about them still They would be massively more famous and successful. Yeah. Because Talk About the Weather is pretty much the only album anybody really talks about. Yeah, exactly. Ironically. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that's Red Lorry, Yellow Lorry, and this has been Gothcast episode 14, and I am Dr. Sanders. I'm Robbie Gore. And let's plug... All of our things that we do every single episode. Yep. So really quickly, we got an Instagram. I'm sure all you guys have that, or a lot of you do. Yep. It's Gothcast. We got a Facebook for those of you who are still hanging out on there. We do too. Mm-hmm. It's called yep. Gothcast. Yep. Uh, we have a YouTube channel, Gothcast Space Video, mm-hmm. because there's nothing like putting a space in the title or something. I know. It's kind of cool you could do that on YouTube, yep. actually. I like that. <laughs> uh, you can find us on iTunes, so it'd be awesome if you guys uh, would subscribe through there just because it's a good medium to keep mm-hmm. track of things. And, yeah. Or don't, you know. I don't use iTunes A lot much. of people, yeah. We've been noticing a lot of people moving away from iTunes. They just subscribe to it feed, actually. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, I, I could see why. I mean, I personally prefer third-party podcast applications most yeah, of the time. Exactly. And we also have a website, gothcastradio.com. That's where we host all of our episodes and our videos and our fashion posts that we do weekly. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so if you guys want to check out any of that content, <laughs> any of that content, just uh, go ahead and head over to gothcastradio.com. And if you can, please subscribe. And any kind of comments, feedback would be helpful. Mm-hmm. Request. Yep. We take it all. And we yep. got an email account, gothcastradio.gmail.com. All right, and that's it. Yep. All right, stay spooky.